Well, hello and welcome. Thanks for joining me. This is Ross Jones, your business coach with my weekly podcast show, Bold Business Bits, coming to you from Yorkshire. This is where I have a great conversation with a phenomenal female business boss. We share some of the bold stuff they do, lessons they've learned, adversities they've overcome and the fun they have. And then I'll be dipping into my toolkit and sharing a top tip. Business can be lonely, so make sure you join us each week and be part of our show. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of my Bold Business Bits podcast show. This is Ros Jones and today I'm joined by Sam Gunnell and Nikki Mitchell of Jones Myers Law Firm here in York. So hear how these two phenomenal female business bosses have worked so hard to set up a branch of family law in York. They've worked together for 10 years in different firms, but have arrived where they are today following very different paths, from a secretary to a translator for a pharmaceutical company. Always fascinating how people choose their routes. They spoke to me about why women are so good at family law, the challenge of being a woman in a traditionally macho profession, and how they look after themselves in what can be a brutal area of law. Listen on and enjoy our show. Hello and welcome to my podcast. This is Ros Jones and today I'm joined by Sam Gunnell and Nikki Mitchell of Jones Meyer Solicitors here in York. So welcome Nikki and Sam. Thank you. Hi, thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to this so much. Tell us a bit about Jones Myers because I believe you're quite new in York but you're not new elsewhere. Tell us a bit about Jones Myers please. So Jones Myers is an established Leeds firm specialising in family law so it's a niche family practice. It's been around for a good few decades in Leeds, but only recently branched out into other areas. So we have a small office in Harrogate. And then our job, which we started about six weeks ago, is to set up a York office. Oh, wow. Newbies on the block. Okay. (laughs) Absolutely. And what's the drive behind this, Sam? The idea is to launch Jones Jones Myers in the York area. So as a bespoke family firm, they do a diverse range of family issues with a Leeds and Harrogate presence, and they wanted to bring their offering to York. They approached Nikki to head up the team, given that Nikki has over 20 years experience 25 experience working in York and the surrounding area wow okay so you both come from other law firms um, to to set this this new outfit up in York so that's brilliant and tell us a bit about family law then what's your what do you do we both work in the family team Jones Myers has a family team and a children team sorry finance team and a children team even so our specialism is finance so we do everything to do with financial issues, not just on relationship breakdown, but prenuptial agreements, postnuptial agreements, cohabitation agreements as well. So we just really, we see our role as guiding people through what can be a really tricky time in their lives. I'm guessing it must be a busy area of law, otherwise you wouldn't have a whole firm dedicated to it. It is a busy area of law, yeah, and it, it, it benefits from being... A specialist firm, I think. When I mm-hmm. when I qualified twenty five years ago, there were a lot more general practitioners out there. So it was it was really part of general litigation. Yeah. And it was a kind of it was about winning and losing. And we've become a lot more enlightened over the years with the resolution code of practice and developed to the point where there are now specialist firms like ours who see it as a completely separate area of law and not about winning and losing, in fact, about avoiding the courts if we possibly can. Yeah. 
And have you noticed trends over these 25 years, Nikki? Well, I'm sure you must have done. So what trends have you noticed or are there trends? Is it trends in family? Yeah, I mean, there, there, yeah. Are, there always are trends, aren't there, in anything? That's one trend. So the trend towards specialisation. There aren't many general practitioners now and you can usually tell who they are when you have to work with them. There's been, I think, a general trend towards acknowledging that conflict is very damaging Mm. for families and particularly damaging for children and that family lawyers need to be equipped to deal with that or at least recognise where people need to be signposted so that they get the right support. Yeah. And what about, I mean, so are there increases in family breakdown or what's... uh... The statistics are all over the place, really, aren't there? I mean, actually, the, the last few years... Um, there's been a bit of a drop-off in divorce rate, but of course there's also been a drop-off in the rate of marriages. There's certainly an awful lot more cohabiting couples than there ever were. And, you know, there's quite a lot afoot in terms of legislation, law commission um, recommendations about trying to make that fairer and to protect the vulnerable, because at the moment, cohabitees just aren't protected. If you own a house with a partner doesn't matter how long you've been together or how many children you have, you just have property rights the same as if you bought it with your friend. Yeah, I heard that. There used to be this myth about your common law, common law, yeah, common law husband or wife. And I think it actually was believed, wasn't it, that it, that it didn't mean that you were effectively married. That wasn't the case at all. I think it's still believed now. I think there's a real misconception out there that if you live together with a partner for a certain period of time, then you acquire all kinds of financial rights, so rights in respect of properties, savings, other houses, which just isn't the case at all. You're completely dependent on the law as it stands, and that usually is only in relation to the property. And so you don't acquire any rights just by virtue of the fact that you have been living together. I think that's an area of law in the next five years that we might see a bit of a change I think at the moment there's a big focus on government on the no-fault divorce and when that finally comes in whenever that may be but hopefully in the next 12 months certainly probably after Brexit now I think cohabitation will be next on the reform agenda it's something that resolution the organisation that many family lawyers subscribe to who have the commitment to the non-confrontation resolution of of family issues. It's something that they're trying to push forward. It's something that we recognise as a problem. Yeah, it interests me because in other areas of law, correct me if I'm wrong, please, I'm not a lawyer. (laughs) If you do something for long enough, doesn't it just become accepted? So like if people use a pathway for long enough, it becomes a public right away and things like that, doesn't it? So why doesn't it happen when you just live together? It just after you've lived together for 10 years, surely it's assumed, you know, well, we, can't, we haven't got the answers here, but it just baffles me, that's all. With some areas yeah. of law, it just becomes... Just, I think it takes the law a long time to catch up with social change. Yeah. So people have been walking over paths and claiming rights to property for a very long time. So is it 20 years? Possessory title is, yeah. is the phrase I'm looking yeah. for. But cohabiting couples is actually quite recent. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Um, and it just takes the law a long time to catch up. And it's a bit of it's a political hot potato as well. There are yeah. some really strong views on various sides of the political spectrum about what should right. happen. Mm-hmm. Well, so outside of the law then, how long have you two known each other? About 10 years now. Nikki and I first worked together when I started in the law and I joined another more high street firm in York. And then I think Nikki moved on 
first of all. I stayed in contact with Nikki and then I joined Nikki at another firm where we worked continuously until moving to Jones Myers together. Fantastic. So you've known each other a long time. Have you always been a lawyer, Sam? I have. Nikki hasn't. No, I have. How did you come into the law then? Well, always interests me how people chose yeah. how people cho- choose their direction. Yeah, I studied languages at school and university. I then went to Spain for a couple of years. hadn't sp- studied Spanish, right. <laughs> so I'd acquired yeah. French, German, Spanish, and Italian along the way, and then thought, well, the only logical thing to do is be a translator mm-hmm. or a teacher. My mother did that. I wasn't going to go there. Yeah. So I came back and did a postgrad in specialist in technical translation, worked for a pharmaceutical company for a year and hated it. So decided that what I needed to do was have a real radical think about where I was going with my life. At the, I remember thinking, I'm too old to be changing at the grand old age of 27. <laughs> <laughs> and so I decided that what I wanted to do was the law. So I, I did a, a year conversion and mm-hmm. then my law society finals as they were in the olden days and here I am and I think that's I think that's wonderful you know in the way that you can you know take various steps to your chosen career and then but was it law was it was it family law that attracted you or just law just law and then you chose um, well I, I never wanted to do anything particularly commercial I didn't want to do anything that was document based I always wanted mm, to do yeah. something people based and I was actually quite attracted by crime at the time but yeah quite quickly recognised that that's actually quite tough Mm. pick up your best clients in the police station in the middle of the night and it wasn't really yeah for me so no I just just as my studies progressed I decided that that was the thing I wanted to do yeah brilliant and how about you Sam I did politics as an as an undergraduate degree and then the law conversion so similar to Nikki in that respect but straight from the law conversion into practice so I was a secretary I was a part-time secretary whilst doing my final year at law school Looking back, I'm not sure how I managed to do that, but I did. And then I took a paralegal role at the same firm, and then I was offered a training contract and qualified on a slightly expedited route from working mm. in the law prior to my training contract. Yeah. And it was all family for me, actually. I um, I was recruited to the family department as the, as a secretary and then stayed in um, family. And I did a, a bespoke family training contract where I, I gained my experience in other areas whilst maintaining a foot in the family department, Yeah, which worked well for me. Yeah, so you've always been a high flyer? Yes. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and what keeps you motivated now, Sam? I love my job. I started specialising in children. We still do children now, and I, I really enjoy the diverse range of, of family law but I really like financial side of the law I find it very interesting so financial cases whether that be pre-living together or pre-marriage or um, mm-hmm. and looking after wealth management side of things or post-separation I really enjoy assisting um, clients with the financial aspect of, of their relationships and I think we do make a difference um, I'm sure we make a difference I like to think that we really help our clients we give good service and it's, it's a very demanding but really rewarding job yeah. yeah and I'm guessing so you can tell me if I'm wrong that it's very much a natural area of law for women being sort of supportive nurturing kind I think Maybe you have to have a skill set as a family practitioner 
that you don't necessarily have to have for other areas of law. So an emotional intelligence and a genuine compassion for the situations that your clients find yourself in is imperative. Mm -hmm. So being able to pick up the phone, speak with them, it just wouldn't work if everything was by email and letter. You have to be in direct communication with your clients and have the flexibility to speak to them when you know when it's not always arranged and I think having that skill set is quite different to other areas and more women find themselves as family lawyers I guess. Certainly it's it is numerically dominated by women isn't it and our firm is more mm. ma- more female than male which is very unusual in the law yeah. mm. mirror yeah. image of where we were before mm. yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's an interesting point that whether that aren't women naturally more inclined to do that. I, I suppose the communication thing is key. But there is a there is a certain feeling amongst some members of the profession that it's a, a soft area of law that it's not proper law. Oh. But actually, it's brutal sometimes. Yeah. Well, I'm a mediator as well, and and mediation's really hard. Yeah. Because you are there, you have to deal with that conflict and you have to try and manage that and try and help people to to get through it. And that's, I would say, quite a lot harder than being a a keyboard warrior and writing snotty letters that you you never really Mm. take responsibility for Mm. because you don't see the impact of that when it arrives with the other person. Yeah. And are these skills, these communication skills, emotional intelligence, the mediation, are they skills that you have naturally or do you learn these or you just get them through practice? How do you become great at that? A lot of it is like anything. It's learning on the job. It's deciding where your skill set lies, what you enjoy best and developing mm-hmm. those through training. So Sam and I are both collaborative lawyers so essentially, that's a way where a couple decide that they will contract out of the court process, do everything in a very open way around a table, and that works really well. And in terms of the satisfaction that we get out of it, it's a great process. Yeah. Mm. So you have to train specifically for that. You train to be a mediator as well. So it's a combination of kind of natural inclination and training and experience. Yeah, yeah. definitely. What do you find are the main challenges that you find as women in the law or just in law generally? No, in, in women, women in the law. What's the main challenges for you right now, Sam? I think the, the challenges are probably competing demands. It's a, really, it's a really challenging, really demanding area of law. You have to prioritise all of your clients and their needs. And I think sometimes it's a special skill set to, to make sure that you are doing that. If you do have court work, then obviously there are competing deadlines with the, the court timetable of your cases. I think that can be quite a struggle. At the moment, there's a real emphasis on well-being with legal professionals, so people working in the law. The president of the family division has just made a speech to say that that's an area that we really have to focus on. We are notorious for working very long hours, the court system at the moment, and we have to use that sometimes even if things aren't necessarily disputed. The divorce petition has to go through the court system, so we do need that, and it's overstretched. There's lots of delay, and I think that makes a very stressful environment. So managing all those stresses and, and getting your work-life balance is something that you constantly have to, to work at, I think. I think, we're, I think we're a long way off that as well. I think it's very welcome that the President's saying that we should be um, looking at things like that. 
but the culture, and I suppose I'm at a different end of it um, because I've you know, had children, that makes a difference. I think that's one of the challenges for women in any area, but particularly in the law, that once you have children, women still tend to be the main carers, not always, but tend to. And trying to progress when you're doing that and juggling everything else is particularly hard. And, I, and it is quite a macho profession. Definitely. You know, trying to be yourself is actually quite hard work when yeah. you get to the point where you've, you've given up trying to be somebody else, which yeah. takes quite a long time. <laughs> I think it's really, it's, it's really hard. I think it's, it's quite a tricky culture, which, again, people are working hard to, to change, but certainly working all hours, working beyond your contracted hours, is still seen as a given, really. Yeah. And it's not something that you necessarily mind, because no, you're no. a professional, yeah. aren't you? We've never worked at the clock. It's not so much that, it's more the, the idea that if you are a mother, specifically of children then that in some way automatically means your contribution is going to be less and it's yeah. quite often the opposite. Or yeah. want to work yeah. part-time for any other reason, whether that be family Right, or... yeah, yeah, absolutely. And how do you look after yourself then, Sam, in terms of your well-being? I personally, I think going to the gym, I do a lot of circuits, yoga. I've taken up walking within the last couple of years, being outdoors, that really helps me. Being around friends and family, that really helps. Any kind of social activities, I like to be around people. I yeah. think all of that really helps. Yeah. How about you, Nikki? I ride my bike mm. a long way up big hills. Really? <laughs> yeah. You're, on the, you're yeah. the Tudor of Yorkshire. Oh, well, <laughs> I'm not at that level, but I do do yeah, quite fabulous. long rides. I love that. And I like people as well. I've got lots of really good friends. Yeah. And I've got one particular friend who is in the law who I find is my... Her husband describes us as each other's emotional boys because right. we don't have to explain all the background yeah. and we can yeah. say what we like. So yeah. friendships really yeah. keep you afloat. In, in life, so, you know, we've got your high-powered jobs, you've got other responsibilities. What's the... What's the main challenges for you right now, personally? Nikki, how about you? Well, mine, lots of challenges, but I, I like a challenge, and the, the challenge of setting up the new office is, is great. I'm yeah. really positive yeah. about that. I suppose my greatest challenge at the moment is pers- a very personal one, which is doing my best to support my mum, who is elderly and who was diagnosed with dementia about five or six years ago trying to work out what she needs and trying to put in place the support measures to make that happen with my brother who is thankfully I've got an incredibly supportive brother so we do it together mm-hmm. but it's not easy and yeah. it, it has occasionally it just all weighs on me yeah and have to go and sit in a darkened room yeah, <laughs> yeah. find a way of dealing with it there's a growing awareness of dementia, though, isn't there? So mm. I know that there's somebody I was speaking to recently, she does a lot of charity work for, for dementia because one of her relatives, I think, has it. So there is a lot of... Well, I, I haven't actually had first-hand experience, I have to say, but I'm aware of it a lot more. So to what extent does, does your support you get other than you having to do everything as a, as a carer? My mum is in the fortunate position that she can pay. Yeah. Obviously, she can't manage her affairs anymore. My brother and I do that. We have found a very good care agency. Yeah, She's very well, well run with some very kind people. And that's our lifeline. If we hadn't found them, I don't know what we would have done. My mum has been had various admissions to hospital. She's fallen. She broke her hip a couple of months ago. She 
had a night in hospital last week, actually. And to be honest, my experience of professionals dealing with dementia isn't good. My personally, it is only a personal thing. You know, there are some good professionals out there, but with the amount of awareness raising there is about dementia, you would have expected that people with dementia to have been treated better than I think is my general experience. But the carers are fantastic. You know, the joy of that is that because coordinating everything can be an absolute nightmare, but doing it with one person who then gets it and, and does what you need them to do has been an absolute godsend. Yeah. Okay, good. So in terms of the future, we're, we're setting up the York office and spreading the word of Jones Myers generally. So where do you see yourself this time next year? What's the What's the plan? Oh, well, it it is still very early days. We want to feel like we are properly up and running. And I think we will be. We will be this time next year. I would like to see us perhaps being a little bit bigger. We're not talking about world domination. But we, a few more lawyers, a a relatively small select group of specialist family lawyers and the best that there are in the area, continuing to provide the best service we possibly can. Fantastic. And if you were to give one piece of advice for a young woman thinking of entering the legal profession today, what would that be? That's a really good question. I certainly wouldn't put them off. I would, well, well, I suppose, again, this is coming back to what we do for a living, but we'd try and understand what what underlies that desire. Yes. And perhaps give them some guidance as to what area of the law might suit them because it's a really diverse career. Yeah. You've got everything from, you know, going to the bar or that's you on your feet most days, although Mm. not all barristers are in court, surprisingly. You could be drafting wills, you could be looking at commercial leases, or you could be mediating. There's lots of different skill sets required there. So I think the most important thing would be to make sure that you know where you think you're heading. Okay, cool. I think if they were interested in family law, I would definitely suggest to do some kind of work experience because I think within a couple of weeks in the right law firm, you would you would know, yeah. I think. You would certainly know if you, if you didn't want to do it. Yeah. It becomes very obvious very quickly, the demands of the job. And I think it's something that you can only do well, like most things, if you absolutely love it. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. So that's what we get from you two is the passion for what you do. Absolutely. And thank you so much for joining us in our podcast. And yeah, thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank Thank you. you. In my conversation with Sam and Nikki, we talked about how they look after themselves outside of a busy work life. I always ask my guests how they look after themselves, the impact of well-being in their lives. And it's quite a common thing nowadays to be talking about well-being at work. And there's lots of programs and discussion about mental first aid at work and providing opportunities for your employees to take exercise and have prayer rooms and all these kind of things and, and social interactions. But what I loved about our conversation was the impact of friendship on well-being. So Nikki talked about her great friend as an emotional boy, that friendship keeps you afloat. And the benefits and friendships on our personal lives and our whole lives are just so important. Personally, I found I've got friends who I've known all my life, or practically all my life, And they're the great ones. They're the ones who know all about you. You can't lie to them about your age, for example. And 
they know you so well and they are just there for you through thick and thin. So I just Googled, I said, I just Googled benefits of friendships and came up with just this little list, which is obvious really, but they increase your sense of belonging and purpose. They can boost your happiness and reduce your stress, improve your self-confidence and self-worth. You know, they're your, your cheerleaders, if you like. They help you cope with trauma like divorce, serious illness, job loss or the death of a loved one or having ill parents. They encourage you to change or avoid unhealthy lifestyle habits. So they're the ones who will reprimand you for having that sneaky cigarette when you say you've given up or for drinking too much or not doing enough exercise. So good friends are really significant, I think, as a way of just offloading, if you like. Yeah, and can be such an important part of just taking care of yourself. So advice, go out and get some friends if you haven't already got any. But there are so many ways of looking after yourself. You know, these with these employer, where we're trying to get employers to put in well-being programs, and we are doing that, and it's a really good thing to do because you get more productive teams, you'll retain your top talent, you'll attract top talent, and all those good things are really pretty obvious, and I think all employers should be should be offering those things these days you know we've got a big thing coming up um, at the york business week in november to promote well-being in the workplace and um, i'm really looking forward to taking part in that but i do think that we all have our personal responsibility for looking after ourselves. it can be so easy just to get bogged down especially business owners get bogged down in the worries and stresses of of growing a business and dealing with highly disengaged teams and all these things so there are things just small things you know just um these days it's endless it's so we've got such a a more open-minded culture these days embracing alternative therapies for example like reiki massage and meditation and mindfulness and and all of these things just having a mass a body massage all this stuff Taking exercise is pretty obvious. It doesn't have to be rushing around mountains on a on a bicycle dressed in lycra. It doesn't have to be training for marathons. It can just be something simple as just going for a, a brisk walk in the morning or at lunchtime or even after work. It can be taking the dog for a walk or taking up yoga and swimming, anything like that. There's endless opportunities as well as physical exercise and, and looking after what we eat and things like that. It can be... Just simple things like taking up a new hobby, pottery, beading, making quilts, rug making, drawing, painting. The list is just endless. So I think that we all owe it to ourselves to take some time out every day just to look after what we really need as individuals. And yeah, and just remembering that it's not just about the financial health of our business, but it's about those other, the other aspects which we've talked about in other podcasts, like your spiritual health, your mental health, your emotional health, all of these things. Yeah, so what are you going to do today to look after yourself? Looking after number one is really important. It's like, as I say, when you get on an aeroplane and you're told that you put the oxygen mask on first before you give it to your children or the people next to you. So what are you going to do to look after yourself before you start promoting it in your business for your employees? Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed listening to our show today. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions, would like to get in touch, please feel free to do so. And please subscribe to my show. Thank you. 
This has been your Ross Jones Bold Business Bits podcast show. If you'd like any further information about anything we've discussed today, please just get in touch. Go to businesscoachingyorkshire.co.uk. Please join me again next week when I'll be speaking with another phenomenal female business boss with bold business bits. And remember to subscribe to my show. Thanks for listening. 